Giving advice is a massively overdeveloped muscle for most managers and most leaders, and staying curious is an underdeveloped muscle. This is the Brilliance Leadership Learning Podcast, sharing thought-provoking content and discussions to enhance your leadership development journey. Be sure to subscribe to get notified of new episodes. Here is your host, Chantal Nash, Digital Learning and Engagement Manager from the team at Crothenville, GE's Global Learning Institute. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. We took a bit of a break, but I'm really excited to come back with an amazing episode with Michael Bungay Stanier, founder of Box of Crayons and author of several books, including his latest Wall Street Journal bestseller, The Coaching Habit. Our initial banter pretty much covers everything else you'd want to know about Michael, but I have to say one more thing. Yes, I do say crayon as a one-syllable word instead of the more proper crayon pronunciation, but don't judge me. I blame it on my Midwest dialect. Enjoy. Thank you so much, Michael, for taking the time to be with us today on the Brilliance Leadership Learning Podcast. You're actually my first guest since a little bit of a hiatus, so I'm really excited to have you now here. I'm I'm excited to be back and even better that I'm kicking things off again, revitalizing things. Yes. So thanks for having me, Chantel. What better person? Um, <laughs> so for those who don't know you... Are there any people who don't know me, Chantel? I know, Chantel? really? I, <laughs> I can't imagine <laughs> maybe, anybody. Maybe one or two or some, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, just probably a few people who live under rocks. Um, <laughs> no, so this, uh, we are speaking to Michael Bungay Stanier, and um, it says to say that with an Australian accent, but I'm not going <laughs> to attempt that. <laughs> that was pretty good. Just have to kind of mumble a bit. That's kind of the Australian essence Oh, is of that it. what it is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So, but essentially, uh, Michael is the founder of Box of Crayons, a company known for teaching 10-minute coaching to busy managers so they can build stronger teams and get better results. And I have actually been following Box of Crayons since like 2009, I think. Um, You're an old timer. (laughs) It was just very interesting when I I caught back up on on Twitter and reached out to to Michael uh, to talk a little more and realized he's doing now the stuff around the coaching habit. So Michael left Australia 25 years ago to be a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford University, where he says his only significant achievement was falling in love with a Canadian. So now he lives in Toronto, having spent time in both London and Boston. He has written a number of books, with his latest being the Wall Street Journal bestseller, The Coaching Habit, which has sold over 350,000 copies and has been praised as one of the few business books that makes people laugh out loud, um, which we've done plenty of laughing already and we haven't even gotten started, so that's not surprising at all. (laughs) That's great. So, you know, I'm sure there's so much more we could go into, um, but one thing that I also want to call out is that uh, Michael was banned from his high school graduation for the balloon incident, which I'm going to definitely ask about immediately (laughs) after this, and was also sued by one of his law school lecturers for defamation. So... That's probably the best place to start this conversation. Right. My dark and (laughs) sordid past. Yeah. So tell it. what is this balloon incident? You know, it it actually, it's a better story as an enigmatic phrase like the balloon incident. But, Mm. but, um, you know, I was at high school, last day at high school, um, last day at high school for my headmaster as well. He'd been the headmaster for 30 or 40 years. So we were told, do not do anything, anything on his last day because... (laughs) The year previous to that had kind of destroyed the school. They'd brought in a flock of sheep to graze on the inner courtyard. They poured glue in all the locks. And anyway, you know, I'm not I'm a I'm not a rebellious guy really, but I was <laughs> like, come on, it's our last day of high school. We need to do something. 
so our very mild kind of rebellion was to go into the chapel because it's a Church of England school and actually just fill up helium balloons and have them fill fill the top of the chapel. So, you know, very, very gentle form of this is rebellion. <laughs> um, but anyway, it still didn't go down particularly well at the school. So as as one of the ringleaders, I was uh, I was then banned from attending the graduation ceremony, which caused a whole lot more outrage than anything else. So there we really, go. Really? Really? Yeah. Uh, was it worth it? Would would you do it again? I think it's always worth speaking truth to power. I mean, those happened with the defamation thing as well, which is it was a, you know it was a minor protest about something a law lecturer had done, and it and it got over escalated. Mm. And it's very interesting to me to see when um, the powers that be overreact. You yeah, know, it's the kind yeah. of thing that winds me up. It's like. You know, I filled up a chapel with balloons. The easiest thing to do would have gone, don't do that. That was right. We said don't do it. But to ban us from the graduation then caught this ripple effect that outraged a lot more people and was alienating for a lot of people. Yeah. The fact that it got escalated to a lawsuit in, at law school, defamation, created a lot more tension and angst for the, the law school than if they just quietly dealt with the matter at hand. So you know, for me, there's a great lesson in it about if you have power, how do you – wield it with a sense of generosity and an open heart rather than a look at the status I now have and how I can work that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a ton of sense. Well, um, I'm sure we could talk so much about that in itself, but we're here <laughs> to talk about coaching, which uh, exactly. maybe, maybe they're not too far apart than we think. <laughs> um, so you have the the coaching habit book, and yes. I do want to ask if you could tell us a little bit more about kind of what got you to this spot where you're focusing more on coaching from kind of where you started with um, doing great sure. work in Box of Crayons. Yeah, right. So Box of Crayons has been around 16 years now. And as you say, when it started, it was just me. And I just started my own company and I was doing that classic start your own company thing, which is, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm, what I'm serving. I can kind of turn my hands to a lot of stuff. And so I was a classic kind of solopreneur. But the, the starting point for getting focused and with focus comes growth and impact was having somebody share a piece, a document with me, a, a photocopy from a front of a page of, of a book. A book is called The Art of Work by Milton Glaser, who's a graphic designer. And he says, look, everything you do falls into one of three different buckets. It's either bad work, good work, or great work. Bad work, waste of time, soul-sucking, life-sucking work. Good work, your job description, so productive, efficient, effective, getting things done. But then great work, the work that has more impact, the work that has more meaning. And, you know, our our stand for many years was helping people and organizations do less good work and more great work. Mm -hmm. And that was great and important, I think. But what we started becoming known for is our approach to coaching, because coaching is one of the great avenues to open up great work within organizations. And in a classic way, I got into teaching coaching just because I thought coaching was being so poorly taught to managers and leaders. You know, most um, managers and leaders, are, they're a bit wary about coaching. I mean, it comes with a bit of a kind of, you know, incense-centered, touchy-feely. It's an HR thing. Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's a Californian thing. You know, <laughs> I'm just a normal person trying to do my job here. Stop kind of forcing this on me. 
And seeing that, we really went, look, coaching can be a really powerful way of leading, a way that empowers others, a way that takes work off your plate, a way that allows you to have more impact and do work that has more meaning. What's getting in the way of managers being more coach-like? And we realized there are a few key drivers. One is people go, I don't have time for this coaching stuff. I'm really busy. Mm-hmm. And we're like, you're right. You know, you don't have time for this. Um, what we're going to help you do is uh, understand that if you can't coach in 10 minutes or less, actually, you don't have time for coaching. Mm-hmm. So we're going to show you how to coach really quickly and coach in a way that it doesn't become an addition to what you do in your work. It's a, a transformation of how you currently work. And so that was one of the barriers. <clears throat> and then the other barrier was having people go, look, I just don't want to be a coach. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just, I'm normal. Yeah don't, yeah. don't turn me into a coach. And we're like, we don't want to turn you into a coach. We want you to be you, but we want you to be more coach-like, which in the end comes down to, can you stay curious a little bit longer? Can you rush to action and advice giving just a little bit more slowly? Mm-hmm. So now with this understanding that coaching can be a powerful leadership tool, it can make everybody's lives better, it can help great work flourish. So how do we make that easy for managers to do? And that's what the book is about, because the book says, look, seven good questions and you can be a more effective coach. And that's what our, our training programs are about as well. Yeah. Well, and one thing also that stood out to me about this was that 10% of employees think that coaching hurts them. So aside from some of the barriers for coaches themselves, employees sometimes think they don't, I don't want this either. It's a really (laughs) depressing statistic. I mean, there's kind of two parts to it. One is what a small number of people think that coaching has actually been helpful for them. It's like about 25%. -hmm. It means almost everybody's like coaching, I can take it, I can leave it, it makes no difference. But the fact that 10% feel that coaching actually negatively impacts their happiness and their impact, I mean, (laughs) just just imagining the kind of lack of excitement walking into that coaching session. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is great. I look forward to being demotivated when I walk out (laughs) of here. Yeah. Yeah, well, and so ironically, this goes actually back to what you were saying before about power. I mean, coaching conversations Mm -hmm. are probably – uh, of course, not being done correctly because, you yeah. know, the people doing them haven't really been taught how to do them effectively. So, um, and I like to the, the part that you say about making conversations slower. So by asking those seven questions, you can slow down the conversations and, um, uh, that might be uncomfortable for some folks because right. you mentioned that it means you're no longer in control of the conversation. So talk a little more about that. Yeah. So you know, we have noticed that lots of managers and lots of leaders have what we would call the advice monster within. Mm-hmm. And this is what it looks like. Somebody starts talking and you're like, oh, oh, I think I know. Oh, I, oh, I definitely know. Oh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> I absolutely know what they need. And you kind of stop listening because you're like, you're so sure that what you've got is the answer to their solution. And there's a reason for that. You know, you've been trained all your life to say the way you add value, and I'm doing air quotes there, add value, is to be the person who jumps in with the answer and with the solution. And, you know, sometimes that's absolutely right. Sometimes, you know, when somebody comes up and goes, hey, where do I find the book? You don't go, you know, how are you feeling about the book? You're like, you tell them where the book is. But it giving advice is a massively overdeveloped muscle for most managers and most leaders. And staying curious is an underdeveloped muscle. 
So what you're looking to do is notice your advice monster. Notice that, look, somebody's been talking to you for less than 30 seconds. You probably don't know what's really going on. You don't know what the players really are. You don't really understand the problem. And even if you did, is the most effective thing to do as a leader to tell them what to do or to help them figure it out for themselves? And I just think a lot of the time the the better course is to ask a good question, be more coach-like, and allow them to get the insight, to get the action, to get the, the engagement, to get to keep the ownership. That actually is helpful for them and helpful for you as well. Yeah, that, I think that's a great point. Um, and out of the seven essential questions, one that I pulled out was the awe question, which mm. is really an acronym that stands for and what else. Right. Um, the reason I love that so much is because, like you say, it helps the person sort of explore their own situation and yeah. really kind of figure that out out loud, which I particularly appreciate because I feel like that's <laughs> that's a, a big way that I learn is by kind of uh, talking out loud and hearing myself yeah. say things and then and then learning from that. So as, as do most people. So and what else? We call it the best coaching question in the world. It's number two out of the seven questions. And to your exact point, which like it has two great benefits. One is it recognizes that the first answer somebody gives you is almost never their only answer and rarely their best answer. And then the second reason is it's a self-management tool, because if you're asking and what else, you're staying curious a little bit longer rather than rushing into action and advice giving. So it has that kind of double benefit like that. Sure. And one question that I can imagine people thinking of as they uh, kind of go through these questions may be, is there a time where giving advice is something that they should do? Yeah. Um, there's plenty of times. I mean, it's just one of those uh, one of the key skills you has as a manager and a leader is <clears throat> to answer the question, to make the decision for sure. Um, the problem most managers and leaders have is not that they don't give enough advice; is that they give too much advice. Right. Yep. So uh, it might be that the way of reframing this is it's like it's not necessarily about never giving advice. It's about can you slow down the rush to action and advice. Yeah. So even if you're like, I, I know what they need to know. What I'd encourage people who are listening in to do is to say, but what if I waited for a minute? What if we had a minute's conversation or maybe 90 seconds conversation about the topic before I offered up my advice? Mm -hmm. So you might go, okay, so I get what's going on. What's the real challenge here for you? Okay, and so what ideas do you already have? Great, and what other ideas do you have? Roughly, any other ideas you, you have around that? What do you want to do? You know, you've got those questions that will kind of find out actually what's really going on for them, what ideas they have, what do they want to do? And what you might find is 90 seconds allows them to figure out their own answer, which might have been the same answer you were going to give them. Mm -hmm. And then they're much more likely to act on that and learn from that by having had that conversation rather than you just telling them what to do. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so with these seven questions, when you talk about you can coach employees in 10 minutes or less, so is the idea to ask all these seven questions in a 10-minute session or just kind of have mini conversations where maybe you go through a few of these? I mean, how, how does this yeah. work? So I love you asking that. So it is true that the seven questions have a sort of arc to them. So you could imagine kind of if you read through the seven questions, how you could one after the other ask them for sure. 
But typically speaking, that's not the best way to, to manage the process because now you're putting somebody through a process. Mm. It's like, regardless of your last answer, I'm now going to ask you, so what do you want? <laughs> right. Um, and actually, one of the most powerful things you can do to be more coach-like is just to be present with the other person. Mm. You know, actually listen to their answer. And if you're going, I need to pre-prepare my next question, you kind of stop listening to the conversation you're having. Yep. So when people ask me, so how do I how do I get all these seven questions under my skin? How do I make the difference? What I would say is this. Pick one of those seven questions that you like, that you feel would be useful, that you feel that you could use, and have a think about turning that into a more habitual action. I mean, the, the book is called The Coaching Habit, and the first chapter is actually not about the question, it's about habit building. Because what we care about at Box of Crayons is actually changing people's behavior. We want you to do something differently. And the habit formula that we talk about in that first chapter is kind of the secret to doing that. And part of the insight around building habits is don't try and do too much at once. You know, pick one or two things and work hard on those new habits. So what I would say is, look, don't feel like you have to have all seven questions and you rattle through them one after the other. It's like have one or two questions and practice them. Keep using them till you like really get a good sense of that muscle and then move on to mastering the other ones. Yeah, I like that. And what else, Michael? Yeah. Well, I'm glad <laughs> it's, it's working already. It's perfect. Um, no, so one thing I did want to also um, focus on as part of this was talk to us about some of the problems, um, you know, another air quotes thing, problems that occur in the workplace or that might stop people from doing coaching that coaching actually solves. So I know you mentioned one of them, which was the time. A lot of times they cite there's no time yeah. for that. Um, but there's also a few things you mentioned, like creating overdependence or being overwhelmed. So how does coaching help right. with those issues? Yeah, I love that you pointed that. So I think in the first chapter, we talk about the three vicious circles that managers and leaders face. Mm -hmm. So the first is an overdependent team. You know, the more they come to you for advice, the more you end up giving them advice, but the more you give them advice, the more they then come to you for more advice. And then the more you come to you for more advice, the more you give them advice. And before you know it, you have trained them not to take any thought, action, or initiative by themselves. It's now entirely dependent on you. So you've disempowered them, and you've turned your life into a bottleneck. So it's kind of like a double dose of misery there. <laughs> so it's yeah. the first of the three vicious circles. The second is a, a sense of overwhelm. And this will be familiar to lots of people. But kind of the more you add to your plate, the more you take on the more you then lose focus as to what really matters. The more you lose focus to what matters, the more you end up taking on, the more you take on, the more you lose focus. And then before you know it, you're in that place that lots of us are in, which is like, I've got way too many emails, way too many meetings, way too many commitments. And honestly, I feel like I'm working all the time. It just never finishes. And then the third vicious circle is a sense of disconnect. And it's that what Simon Sinek would talk about, trying to find the why of the work that you do. And kind of the vicious circle here is the less impact you have, the more you kind of give up. But then the more you give up, the less impact you have. The more you kind of resign yourself, the less impact, the less impact, the more you resign yourself until you're like, I just feel like a very small cog in a machine that I don't even fully understand why it's working like this. So those three vicious circles, an overdependent team, uh, a sense of overwhelm, and then a sense of disconnect, 
all of those three vicious circles are ones that I think can be broken, particularly with that combination of thinking about what's the ideal mix of good work and great work for me? So how do I find more of the work that matters and has impact? And then helping people to get to do more great work by asking some good coaching questions. Yeah. And I think it was summarized really well um, in in a sentence I read that said, making teams smarter and braver. I, I right. love the braver part. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's been some interesting research. I don't, this is kind of new stuff since I, I wrote the book about what makes for a team smarter. And let me ask you, Chantel, you know, if you had to guess how to, if you're on a team and you had to make it smarter, what would you do to make your team smarter? You know, I'd probably give them some stuff to learn <laughs> what okay, they so want to be smarter on. Teach, teach them some yep. stuff. That mm-hmm. could be, what else could, what else would you might think about doing to try and make your team smarter? Coach, you could do anything. Coach them. Well, that's a good question. <laughs> I like where you're going with that. Um, I tell you, I tell you what the research f- figures out. Okay. Um, because you know, some people go, well, you just add smart people to your team because you know, add a few geniuses and your team's going to get smarter. But it turns out that that doesn't actually help. Um, nor does kicking off this the dumb, annoying people on your team. That doesn't actually help. There are three things that the researchers found uh, can make your team smarter. The first is increase the share of conversation. So the more people talk in the team, the smarter that team is. And of course, so many teams have a dominant voice or two, often the boss's voice. So to your point, coaching is a great way to increase the share of voice around the team. The second is effectively empathy. Which is like, do we have an ability to understand how the other person is feeling as they as they do our work together? And again, coaching, really powerful tool for actually getting a sense of connection like that. And then the third kind of more provocative uh, reason way to make a team smarter, just add more women to it. Oh. <laughs> and, and the guy who did the research is like, I can't totally explain this, but it's just it, it keeps showing up. The more women on a team, the collectively the smarter that team happens. I mean, to it be. makes perfect sense to me, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> of course it does. No, that and is. Then, you know, it has to be said. My company, Box of Crayons, is about ninety-five percent women, and I'm like, you know what? I'm not so dumb in that I've hired a lot of smart women to make my team smarter. That is very interesting, though. Yeah. So if we step back a little bit then and talk about um, doing great work, because I think that's really important too. Obviously, that's kind of what this has been built upon. But um, first of all, I really do like back when I first found the the Doing Great Work book, I loved all of the little drawings and, and like templates that okay. are in there. So yeah. I do encourage, you know, anybody listening to this podcast to also look at that book because um, it's just it's really thought provoking and, and useful as a tool. Right. So, so the the full title is called "Do More uh, Do More Great Work, Stop the Busy Work, and Start the Work That Matters." And just as Chantel is saying, it's actually fifteen exercises that you can work through, so you can better figure out how to discover, then start, then continue and maintain your great work—work work that has more impact, work that has more meaning. Yeah, absolutely. And as a side question, I don't I don't think. Um at least I don't remember, where did you come up with Box of Crayons as the name for <laughs> for the company? Yeah, it's, that's a good question. So right after I had started my company, I just moved, I lived in Boston, but I just moved to Toronto in 2001 and 2002 started this company and it was called something else. 
Now, I knew nobody in Toronto at the time, so I was giving a talk in my local coaches chapter about branding because I knew a little bit about branding. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, here's Michael's three unarguable rules about branding. Um, And then I looked at my own company name at the time and I went, it fails all three of my own rules. I I need a better name. So then Chantel was just a question of brainstorming a lot. Lots of bad ideas. But when I finally came up with Box of Crayons, I was like, you know what? That is actually a great name. That fits me. It fits my kind of idea about being creative and possibilities and generosity and playfulness, all stuff that I try and embody in the work that we do at Box of Crayons. So, yeah, it just landed. And I was like, nailed it. I fully agree. It's always stuck with me. It has been one of the the easiest, like, brand names for me to remember especially in this space like it speaks speaks to you so well thank you yeah um so is there i mean this to me pretty well explains this concept and what people can do to kind of start practicing this is there any other advice that you would give or anything that you'd really like people to know yeah so they've heard some of the barriers to being more coach-like you know one is i don't have time um but actually, you can coach really quickly and in a way that doesn't add to the burden that you're, you're, you've got. So you, you don't have to work longer hours to be more coach-like. And then another barrier, which is like, I don't want to be a coach. And we're like, you know what? I agree. But if it can be you who's more coach-like, which just means can you stay curious a little bit longer and can you rush to action and advice a little bit more slowly, that's going to be beneficial for you and beneficial for those that you lead and work with. But for lots of people, it's like, well, that's all interesting, but it's not enough. I mean, what's in it for me around being more coach-like? Mm. And here's what I think it can be. It not just the benefit of potentially you and your team doing more great work, work that has more impact, work that has more meaning, but actually you get to work less hard and do work that has more impact. And if you're thinking to yourself, I wouldn't mind – heading home a little bit earlier today or seeing the family and the kids a bit sooner or having more time on the weekend to play with people or hang out with friends or whatever. I actually think being more coach-like is one of the one of the ways to get there. And that's an interesting concept because people don't often equate coaching with getting more time and getting more bandwidth. They feel like it's an extra thing. Um, but right. Yeah, when you put it that way, We're it makes really a ton of trying sense. to make it less of a burden, a sense of oh, it's an additional burden, and more it's uh, this will this will this will free you up. Yeah. This will give you more time. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, if people are more interested in your coaching programs, they can go to boxofcrayons.com. Um, yeah. Also, for the book that we've been talking about, the coaching habit. Say less, ask more, and change the way you lead forever. Um, you can go to thecoachinghabit.com, and you can also follow Michael on Twitter at Box of Crayons. One thing that I also like is in that qu- the number two question, I just reminded myself, um, is this haiku <laughs> to help remind right. people. So tell less and ask more. Your advice is not as good as you think it is. It's, That's right. <laughs> it's so funny. Chantel, thank you. It's been lovely to be on the call with you. Yes, yeah, thank you. Um, I'm sure we'll be in touch, and uh, thanks again. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, and of course, like, comment, rate, and share. Thanks for listening.